Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right. This is episode 325 of Wheel Bearings. I'm Sam Abul Samet from Guidehouse Insights. And I am Nicole Wakelin from The Road Reflected. And Mr. Baldwin will be joining us uh, in a little bit in progress. Uh, mm-hmm. Something from his day job just came up uh, a short time ago. And so he's got to get that knocked out. So he'll be, probably be with us in about 15 or 20 minutes. The worky work stuff. Yeah. So in the meantime. Yes. What have you been driving? Well, gosh, you know, because it's been about four weeks now, let's drive another Subaru Crosstrack. <laughs> So this time, and I was trying to look up and see which one I had because I literally did have it, like, I think almost exactly a month ago. I think I had a different trim last time. This time I have the Subaru Crosstrek Sport, um, which has the, there's two engines in this one. The base trims have a two liter four cylinder. Crosstrek comes with two different engines? I thought it, what? No, And it was, they put one in the back or? Not one in the back and one in the front. Stop. Um, you made me question myself. I'm like, wait. So this is the, what? the t- Now you made me, like, I'm now, you know what? You go first now. No. <laughs> so this has Sorry. a, a two five-liter four-cylinder, um, 182 horsepower and 178 pound-feet of torque and a CVT, which is kind of, it's kind of kind of noisy, not horribly noisy, a little bit noisy. Um but I like this one. I think this this more powerful engine is actually better. I like this. I think it's a good good little vehicle. Um, I like, you know, it's funny. We were just talking about this off air, but the infotainment in this was something that actually my husband immediately got frustrated with because this has the 11.6 inch sort of tablet style infotainment screen, which works fine. Like there's nothing wrong with it, but the controls for the heat and the AC are are like buried into it. They're at the very bottom. Mm-hmm. And then when you tap it, it expands a little bit. So if you, you can always kind of see it there at the bottom, tap it and suddenly it's your full screen and you can really adjust stuff. And somehow we got it in the air conditioning. It's 32 in New Hampshire right now. The air conditioning was like, like on full blast. I'm like, Oh my gosh. I'm like, it's like, it's a blizzard inside the car. And as we're panicking, trying to find it as our faces are freezing off It took a second to find it. And I thought, gosh, I'd really just like hard buttons. To just turn the temperature up and down, and you were saying a certain OEM has decided to do that on their vehicles yeah. again. Yeah, just uh, just before we started recording, uh, a new story popped up on my uh, on my RSS feed um, from Autocar, the uh, British uh, magazine, that um, that Hyundai just announced uh, in the UK that there's a mid-cycle refresh of the Tucson, which. Um, you know, one of the few things that I think we all universally complained about on the Tucson mm-hmm. was they had a center touchscreen and below that there was a panel of capacitive controls for everything mm-hmm. and no physical controls in the center stack. And they have Hyundai's listening uh, actually across the entire Hyundai motor group. They have clearly been listening to user feedback on their HMIs because there's something else that we'll talk about later. Um, that they also improved, but you know they they have ditched that bottom half of the touchscreen. They've gone to like the one large uh, panel display panel, like they have on a bunch of the other uh, current uh, Hyundai vehicles, and they have a, a, a an array of 
physical controls for climate control, uh, just as it should be. I think that's, and you know, it's really, it's, it's not like a Hyundai problem or a Subaru problem. It's no, an no, it's problem. Not. So it's just interesting that it's, and it's one of those things like, you know, okay, yes, I suppose if you're driving the car every day, you're used to it, but your passengers aren't necessarily, and it's always easier to just grab that like a button to, to control it. So I, that was my little frustration immediately as my icicles were dripping from my eyes. I was like, Oh my God, how do I, how do I turn down the AC and why is it on full blast? I think the uh, driver that dropped it off was punking me, but anyway, um, so the sport in the middle of the lineup, it's it, the lineup runs from about 25 to about $32,000 ish. This one kind of sits in the middle of the lineup, but it's priced closer to the top. It's priced at 30, just over 30,000, um, standard all wheel drive, which is part of why it's so darn popular in New England, because everybody wants all wheel drive, uh, this year, the crosstalk also does get the new wilderness trim this year, which they've been rolling out to the Subarus as sort of their, I don't know, most off-road worthy of their, of every trim. Like it has a little more ground clearance than the other versions of the Crosstrek. This one still has 8.7 inches of clearance. So it's, you know, it's not, I don't know. Is this a crossover? Is that what you call it, Sam? It's like, I always think of it as a wagon, they, but. They would call it a crossover. Um, you know, I mean, it's, 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 it's a, it's a slightly lifted five-door hatchback is what the Crosstrek okay. is. It, it, you know, it is the Impreza with slightly more ground clearance and black plastic wheel arch extensions, you yes. know, to make it more, look a little more SUV ish, a little more SUV. So, but it's, I like this because it, it gives you some of the SUV perks. Like there's a little bit more ground clearance. You have that versatility for carrying cargo. You know, it's, it's great for, you know, it's just the way it's shaped that sort of wagon ish kind of style to it. It's really great for cargo. It's really comfy for people. It's, it's plenty roomy. Um, but you know, it's not so high. Like when you get into true SUVs that it, they can be so bright and so high, even in a real crossover for people who have mobility issues, they're tough to get into. This is so easy. This is like getting in and out of a sedan, even though it's not a sedan. It's just the way it's designed. It's super easy to for the ingress and egress. Look at me with the fancy words today. Um, so I, I mean, I appreciate that about it. Driving it actually is, it's fine. It's not a sport. I mean, despite being called a sport, it's not a sporty car. You know, it's, it's not the world's most, uh, engaging handling on the planet. But the thing is it does what it's supposed to do. It's this nice versatile little crossover um, and it's durable. And I appreciate that the interiors of, of Subarus, they feel like you could really make a mess of them. And once you wipe everything off, they're going to be okay underneath all that. Like you never have this fear that your kids are going to destroy it, that your dog is going to destroy it, that you're going to destroy it when you fumble your morning coffee or whatever. And I really appreciate that sort of, it looks good. It feels good. They're comfortable. The seats are super comfy, but yet it has that durability that you feel like it can really, it's a kind of vehicle like everyday real life people can live with this and not worry about ruining their car. Unlike the, what I had a Mercedes the other week. And it was like, dear God, how do you put children in this beautiful thing here? <laughs> I'm don't. like, have at it. Yeah. Here I'm like, have at it kids sit there, yeah. break out your chicken nuggies and your French fries, spill your milkshake. That's okay. I'll wipe it all up and they'll be fine. If, if you have that Mercedes, what you do is you buy a cross track for your nanny to drive <laughs> there and you, go. you just you know, tell her, you know, meet, meet us at this location. And right. so the nanny brings the kids in the cross track and you and your mate can take the, uh, yes, the Mercedes. You take the fancy Mercedes. You look like you're living large. The nanny shows up. You just sneak the kids in like, yeah, this is our car. Don't mind that little orange cross track over there. So, uh, but so I like, so I do like the cross track. I think, 
Um, it's all new this year, and I think they did some nice updates to it. I think it looks good. It's a little more quiet. Like, it's nice. It still looks and feels essentially like a cross track. Um, the only th- thing I'm not real keen on, and this is only if you get the bass trim, talking about screens, they have the dual seven inch screens on the bass trim of the cross track mm-hmm. instead of the one. And it's literally just the bass trim. Again, they work just fine, but I do find like, those two screens and they're separated. It's not even like they've taken like they're not even really close to each other. They're sort of set. Yeah, there's 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 a bezel that goes around yeah. both of it, the screens. It, it makes it feel weird. It makes it feel very very dated to me. Um, it just doesn't feel like what we're doing with infotainment and with screens right now. So I'm not keen on that. So I would stay away from the base trim of this unless it's really an affordability matter. Otherwise, just go one step, at least one, if not two steps up to get the more powerful engine because you have to be in the middle of the range to get the uh, the more powerful, the the 2.5 versus the 2. So I like the Crosstrek. I like the Crosstrek a month ago. Guess what? Still like the Crosstrek. <laughs> Has not changed my opinion. Has not changed in a month. <laughs> and um, speaking of Subaru, uh, I was at the uh, the LA Auto Show last week. And Do of course- puppies? They had puppies. They Aww. had some wonderful puppies. And uh, guess who I ran into at the puppy corral? Who? Our good old friend, Rebecca Lindland. <gasps> you she's, saw Rebecca. She yeah. was at the show. Yes. Yeah, she's, she's working for uh She's working cars. at Cars.com. Yeah, Cars.com yeah. now. And uh, she will be joining us hopefully soon uh, as a guest on, on one of the episodes coming up soon. Um, so, yeah, Rebecca has returned to the land of the living from – wherever it was that she was. And wasn't she in oh, Abu Dhabi? I want to say Abu she, Dhabi. Yes, she was. Uh, she was in Abu Dhabi for a few months. Um, yeah, and uh, of course, before sit. that, she was at, uh, at Fisker. Yes. Um, and uh, so now she's back in California. Um, and uh, we were, we were enjoying some puppies from uh, the Dove project. Um, when, when Subaru, uh, when they go to auto shows, Subaru has almost has a, they partner with a local shelter or, um dog rescue organization and they set up the puppy corral and they bring in adoptable dogs um for you know and they do this throughout the public days of the show as well right and uh, all so, the different auto shows it's not yeah. just la they do it in new york yeah. they do it all the big shows. i don't even know maybe they do it at small shows for they, all i know uh, they, they could uh i wouldn't be surprised yeah um you know they certainly do it in in chicago um and uh you know this year at chicago our, our friend of the show paul eisenstein yes. he actually came home from the chicago auto show with a dog <laughs> with a puppy that he adopted uh, a black lab which that, he just uh, loves he's so yeah. cute talking about that puppy paul's like this really smart guy and really straightforward he's like oh you go to puppy it's just adorable <laughs> <laughs> yeah and this this was in february he brought home miles when he brought home miles he was 15 pounds he's now over 100 pounds yeah. Uh, so <laughs> this is a big dog, but yeah, slightly larger than when he brought him home from Chicago. <laughs> just a little bit, but uh, but he loves that dog. And uh, they had some some wonderful dogs uh, when uh, Rebecca and I were taking a little break at the puppy corral, the Subaru puppy corral. I missed out on the actual auto show. I had to come home for adult responsibilities and miss the actual which, show. Which, which unfortunately turned out you couldn't well, do anyway. Actually, did come through. Oh, oh did it? Had, oh, excellent. <laughs> We had a 5 p.m. deadline, 4.45. Hey, we can do it. Okay. So, yeah, so my my grown-up responsibilities that were scheduled <laughs> inconveniently did happen because I got mad. I'm like, it happens now or it never happens. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, Robbie has just popped up in Zoom here. Hey, Robbie. Hello. Robbie. Well, did you take care on. of your work stuff? 
I did. I take uh, three minutes to spare. Look at that. Nicely done. <laughs> and uh, Nicole just finished telling us about the uh, Subaru Crosstrek that she had again after uh, less than a month. <laughs> like a different one, different trim, different <laughs> color, but hello again, Subaru. <laughs> hello uh, again, Subaru. Hello again, so, Subaru. What have you been driving, Robbie? Nothing. I've been traveling, and I uh, I just had a car drop off today. Um, which, you know, it, I, I drove to the store to pick up Red Bull. So that's, yeah. <laughs> do you have wings now? I do have wings. Okay, just checking. Jittery, jittery wings. <laughs> All right, well, since you didn't have anything, well, let me dive into what I drove. Yeah, what um, are you driving this week, Sam? So I had the, um, the 2024 Hyundai Kona limited all-wheel drive. So Ooh. this is the, the new second-generation Kona which looks radically different from the first generation. Um, it's quite a bit larger. I think it's about six inches longer than before. Um, and the limited is the, uh, the top trim level. So it's got all the goodies on there, including a, a 12.3 inch touch center touchscreen, um, the uh, 1.6 liter uh, four cylinder turbo, uh, which has 190 horsepower. Uh, and that that engine is also in the end line version, um, eight speed automatic transmission uh, instead of the CVT that comes with the uh, the SE and SEL trims. Um, and you know, I I, the, I like driving it. It was it was really good. Um, the you know my probably my one complaint about the first gen Kona was the back seat was a little tight. Um, and you know, if you ever needed to take anybody, it was fine for, for small kids or smaller adults. Uh, but you know, if you wanted to take your, your full-size adult friends, uh, somewhere, uh, it could, <laughs> your Robbie's <laughs> yeah. your full-size adult friends, uh, you, you, uh, they might feel a little bit snug in the backseat. Um, but that is no longer really an issue. Uh, you know, and as, as with many vehicles, um, you know, from generation to generation, they tend to get larger and larger. Um, and then, you know, eventually the automakers introduce a new model at the bottom end to backfill, you know, to get you that, that small one again. And, and so, you know, undoubtedly the next generation of the venue will get to where the first generation Kona was <laughs> and so on. Um, but um, they, uh, the new Kona is, is, is a good size. I think um, the, the limited, uh, which I had is mm, a little bit on the soft side as far as its responses. You know, it doesn't doesn't feel quite as sporty, uh, but you know that's why they have the end line version, which has the same powertrain, uh, but I think is probably a little bit tighter in its uh, suspension setup. Uh, but you know, it's fine for for normal everyday driving. It's it's got a nice uh, compliant ride uh, for uh, for the limited, uh, and like I said, it's got got everything in there uh and at that price it starts the limited starts at 31650 um the one that i had uh was all in for uh $34,695 including the destination charge and i'm just trying to see what it had carpeted floor mats so uh, let's see the it the monroney actually lists the the, the price as thirty three thousand one fifty, hmm. um, which is about uh, almost two thousand dollars more than what the Hyundai website says. So it's possible that 
between the time that this vehicle was built and the Monroney mm. was printed out, they may have made some price adjustments. Um, so if you know, if you go right now, oh, I I know why because this um, that thirty one thousand is for a front wheel drive model. Uh, dun, dun, dun. Yeah, yeah. So if you add in the uh, the all wheel drive, that's an extra fifteen hundred bucks. So that's, all those extra wheels. That's mm-hmm. right. So that's that's where so the uh, the price difference comes in. <laughs> but uh, you know now you've got um, wireless Android Auto and Apple CarPlay support uh, in there. Um, you know it's got all the goodies you would expect. Uh, it, it's got uh, blind spot monitoring um, and uh, lane keeping assist and um, a- adaptive cruise control. So all the all the good stuff is in here. Uh, yeah, you know, like I say, I think it's a it's a really good size um, for you know a daily commuter vehicle. Um, it's small enough that it's easy to park, but still you know well packaged, so it's um, that's got a usable back seat and usable cargo area. Um, so I think you know this is a, a really good choice for a lot of people. And if you don't need that extra bit of power in there, um, the um, the base Kona SE does start at 24,100 uh which is pr- quite reasonable by today's standards you know even even at $30,000 it's still pretty reasonable uh but the uh, uh the the SE starts at 24 um and then there is an electric version coming a second generation uh, Kona electric um and I don't think that they have that one priced yet uh it's not it's not available yet it's still a few months away uh for the US market uh, but that one will be available soon. Um, so that's the that's the Kona, the 2024 Kona. The other thing that I got to drive uh, when I was out in Los Angeles, um, I got because I'm on the like you, Nicole. I'm mm-hmm. on the uh, North American Car and Truck of the Year jury. I got a chance to uh, spend a little bit of time with the Volvo EX30, which you talked about last week. Yes. Yeah, so what did you think of it? I really like it a lot. Yeah. Um, you know. I'm, I'm still not a hundred percent sold on the all touchscreen interface. Yeah, how did um, that work out for you when you like not having the instrument cluster? Did you get it, used to that, it? That or? part I was fine with. Yeah, um, yeah, because the, it's a portrait style screen, and they've got all that information in a bar across the top of the screen, mm-hmm. so it's relatively close to your line of sight when you're driving. Um, and it's not, it's not a huge vehicle. It's in fact, it's actually quite compact. Uh, nicely compact. Yeah. Um, and so it's not too far away from looking straight ahead. So it you don't you don't have to look way away from the uh, as far let's put this way, you don't have to look as far away from the road to see that uh information in the um EX30 as you do if you're driving uh a model three or model Y, which has mm-hmm. a landscape screen and that a lot of that information is down lower. So you do have right. to look down more to see it. Um, in the, in the Volvo, it's, it's fairly visible. And, you know, if you're used to driving any of the previous generations of Toyota Prius, which always had that small, slim display across the top of the dash, across the the center, top center of the dash, you know, it's pretty similar to that. Uh, so again, not ideal, but you know, it's there. Um, the, the thing I would if I had to complain would be about the climate controls because you don't have physical yeah. climate controls. Um, but Ooh. you can Ooh. also <laughs> control all that with Google assistant as well. So, yes. so it's not, it's not too bad, but climate. Your yeah. car. 
uh, <laughs> and the one I drove was uh, the rear wheel drive. Um, I think it's the plus trim. It's the mid the mid level trim, the mid grade trim. Okay, uh, which will be priced around thirty eight thousand dollars in the U.S. Um, the base trim is about uh, thirty five. Um, and you know, the interior is quite nice. I mean, you, you look around and you can see how they did things with the design to reduce the engineering costs and, you know, make it simpler to assemble. Um, you know, the doors are fairly, um, plain, uh, the, um, the window controls are in the, in the center, uh, by the center armrest. And unfortunately, like the Volkswagen ID4. It has, has a button. It has a button for the rear. What, what are you saving? What money are you saving by doing that? Millions of dollars. You're saving uh, one button because you have to push another button. So you're saving one, one, yeah. one. Bazillions of dollars. Bazillions <sighs> even, I would hazard a guess. Mm -hmm. But the, the 275 horsepower of the single motor rear wheel drive version is way more than adequate. This thing, this thing is surprisingly quick. Um, and I think people are really going to like this thing when it, uh, when it starts to arrive, uh, at dealerships and it will be available, uh, through the care by Volvo program, which is their subscription oh, cool. program. Um, so, you know, you can sign up for that. Uh, and then, uh, after some, it's either six or 12 months, I think you can, um, you can switch, you know, if you want to switch to a different, uh, EX 30 or a different Volvo model altogether, you can do that and you get they just it's just a, a flat uh, monthly payment that includes your insurance and maintenance and everything, including the car payment. Um, and uh, it's a it's one of the few automotive subscription programs that actually seems to be reasonably successful. Yeah, um, a lot of them just don't they fall flat. Yeah. So, you know, the, I think we're going to be ready to buy a, a replacement for our Honda Civic hatchback probably in about a year and a half to two years uh, from now. Uh, so probably like in the 2025 timeframe, uh, it's almost, yeah, it's almost 2024 now. Um, and this one will definitely be on our short list of, of vehicles to consider. Wow. Cool. A lot of room in the back for dogs. Uh, there is room in the back uh, for smaller dogs. Um, I mean, you could, you could, <laughs> Would you Daisy could, fit back there? Oh, Daisy will fit back there easy. Yeah. Um, right. You could you could fit, you know, if you put a seat cover on the back seat, which you'll probably want to do, you could fit a Bernie's Mountain Dog in that back seat. All right. I'll go buy yeah, one of could. those. I think yeah. you could. I'd agree. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it'll fit. And that that's one of the nice things, you know, when when, it, when I got to the car, it was parked next to uh, an XC40. And on the outside, it is quite a bit smaller than an XC40. It's lower. Uh, not quite. As, it's about, uh, I think, about eight inches shorter. Mm -hmm. But because the EX30 is built on a dedicated EV platform, as opposed to the XC40, which was it's a modification of um, an internal combustion platform, uh, the uh, XC40 is not packaged quite as well. So they they really took advantage of the packaging efficiencies of an EV uh, in the EX30, and it feels like there's at least as much, if not more, interior space in the EX30 as there is in the XC40. Cool. So a ringing endorsement. You like that one? Ring a ding ding. I did. Ring -a -ding -ding. I did it. I did like it quite a bit. Yes. So it's definitely a good vehicle. I agree. I really like it too. I think it was great. I was very impressed by it. 
Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. All right. Um, also, there was a lot of stuff that happened in L.A. last week. Um, <laughs> you know, unlike the Detroit Auto Show, you know, there was a, there was a lot of activity, a lot, a lot of uh, products announced. And um, and. But before before we get to those, there was one product that was actually announced the day after the media day uh, in L.A. Um, and all they did was release two photos of it. Two, or they may not actually they're probably not even photos. They're probably renderings, um, CG renderings of uh, the new entry level Cadillac that's coming. Uh, the optic. Um, and this is their small electric crossover that is coming at some indeterminate future date uh at some <laughs> indeterminate price uh with some indeterminate amount of performance um yeah. unknown number of motors uh unknown battery size basically we don't know anything about this except what it looks like that it's one orange. The, the two pictures yeah, yes. it comes in orange we know that <laughs> yeah, yeah. orange or at least they've in. rendered one in orange they rendered knows? one. yeah that's true they've rendered one in orange yeah um they they promise that they will give us more information on the optic um sometime early in 2024 so literally all they gave us was a we picture. have a car yeah well a, an image yes not even not even not even i mean i don't feel like sitting there staring at this thing <laughs> I mean, it, <laughs> to see if, to see if it's a rendering or not but uh, I'm just reading the story you wrote, Sam. There's so much expected to have. Probably will, might, maybe. Like, <laughs> probably, maybe. Who knows? Yeah. We think I just, possibly. I just speculated for a few hundred words. You, <laughs> you know. did. It's funny. <laughs> but what else because, are you going to well, Because do? they literally, I asked if there, you know, is there like a press release to go with these photos? No. Nope. Uh, is there any other information you can share with these yeah. images? Nope. Uh, it will we'll give you more information in 2024. That's Thank literally all they told us. <laughs> That's fine. Okay, fine, whatever. Yeah, thanks All for right. the information. Here you so, go. so that's that's the the next Cadillac EV that's coming. Well, it, actually, we don't even know that. I was saying, it doesn't even say we, you don't even dates come. We don't even know if it's going to yeah. be. You've no idea. Be there could be six years from Cadillac. now. Yeah, I mean, you know what? GM's not going to get in trouble this time with pricing or timetables because right. we don't know anything. Because we're not going to. Pro- we're not. Yeah, we're we're telling you nothing at all. Other than you get this is what it's gonna nothing. Look it's like saying we'll have more cars, guys. Th- thanks. Okay. <laughs> All right, well, when? The, we're just gonna have more Cadillac. cars, guys. We're gonna make some more cars. We're gonna make the, more cars. Oh, right. Yeah, the, this this summer when they unveiled the uh, the Escalade IQ, Cadillac did say that you know, and we're gonna show you two more EVs, two more Cadillac EVs before the end of the year. This is one. Um, of them. So presumably, fun, sometime between now and the end of the year, we will see we will get. Two more images of another Cadillac EV with no information. Oh wait, there's a Cadillac. That's another one. Is a they're both Cadillacs. Oh, yeah. There's just... there's going to be another some other Cadillac uh, EV oh. coming. 
I was hoping it was going to be like the little uh, electric truck that I saw when I went to the, or the little electric, um, what do you call it? Like off-roader, well, not off-roader, but oh. like Jeep type vehicle. Well, that probably wouldn't or, be a Cadillac anyway. Or the, the, the hint at a, um, a Hummer pickup truck. Like a smaller one, of course, but none of those are Cadillacs, which means like we won't see them. Hummer smaller, that just is broken. Hummer and smaller in the same. Well, sentence. they did the H3. Remember that? Yeah, there was yeah, that was a, there was true, the H3, I, and, and in 2009 so they they also had the HX concept. And then how much longer what? was it before the whole company went? Uh, about uh, six months. So six maybe months, don't yeah. go smaller. Yeah. <laughs> Stick to what you know. Oh. <laughs> Mega. Yeah. Mega. But what we did learn about in, in uh, California um, was a couple of new Toyotas, um, the sort of new Camry uh, for 2025, which yeah. is, you know, despite despite what uh, what they proclaimed, it's not all new. Um, yeah, they, they call it a ninth generation Camry, but it's really it's really a mid-cycle refresh because it's an 8.5. Yeah, 8.5, 8. the, the structure and everything. And when you look at it, if you look at a picture of the 2025 Camry next to a 2024 Camry, all the side sheet metal, the greenhouse and everything is all unchanged. The front and rear are changed. There is an all new interior. Um, but oh, the, nice. yeah. And you know, the, the front end design, you know, incorporates some of the, uh, ideas from the uh, from the new Prius, you know, so you have the same kind of C-shaped uh, headlights, running lights there on the front, so it looks a lot like the Prius, but with a bigger grill. Um, and it's hybrid only this time. That makes sense. Which I, I you know, I, I feel like I mean, why even bother with, yeah. And that you know the hybrid and the like. I don't know. I wonder what the take rate was before. Like, how many people? Where they don't have as many EVs. Everyone's like, oh, Toyota has to move to EVs. Toyota isn't moving ahead as much as they should be. Toyota isn't. Okay, fine. We're it, just going to make Camry hybrid only. You know? it, it, apparently, it was about 50% hybrid. Was it? Before, yeah. It was uh-huh. a very very high take rate of hybrids. And so now it's going to be 100% hybrid. Toyota overall, across all of their vehicles right now, is about 25% hybrid. 25%, huh? Yeah. Uh, the trucks. I'm like, what's yeah. not? Oh, the trucks. The trucks. Well, the no, trucks the trucks are hybrids too. The- yeah, but people aren't. But people, you know, truck buyers are eh. probably not. Yeah. I don't know. I wonder what do they break out? They probably do somewhere. I'm wondering how many of the trucks. Um, yeah, they they do. They actually do break out their hybrid sales. Um, but they. Oh, uh, that's cool. Yeah, the, the Tundra has a hybrid version of it, although it's not a particularly fuel efficient hybrid, but it is a hybrid. Um, the Sequoia is hybrid only. The um, the Sienna. Uh, is hybrid only. Mm-hmm. Um, the the Camry is now hybrid only, um, and I would expect going forward we're going to see more and more of their models as they get updated. Drop the gas engines and just go hybrid only, uh, or you know hybrid yeah. and in some cases plug in hybrid uh, variants. Like the Crown is also hybrid only. There's no gas only version of the Crown. Right. Um, but they. The um, the Camry is getting the fifth generation hybrid system, so it's the new updated system that's also in the Prius, uh, but with a two point five liter four cylinder instead of the two liter that's in the Prius, um, and it's also available with all wheel drive, uh, electric all wheel drive. Uh, so, uh, and that's a first for the Camry hybrid, um, and uh, it's the two hundred and thirty four horsepower for the Camry. And then nice little sedan there. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's the Camry's like it, 
people are. Well, like, Samri's always like, oh, it's a nice and then. Yeah. It does its thing, and it's it's going to do its thing a little better than it did its things before, and it's not going to suddenly be this amazing, exciting, like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. We must all go buy one, even if we weren't thinking about it. But it's going to continue to do what it do what it's been doing for years, which is just be a nice, solid, reliable, comfortable sedan. Basically, run forever. You know, yes, it's until you're done one million it. years. Yep, million years. Yep. Uh, the other thing that Toyota showed off with the uh, alongside the Camry was the SUV they've been teasing for the last few weeks, uh, which is not really an SUV. It's it's a crossover. Yes. Um, it's it's actually a tall wagon version of the Crown, and it's called the ta- the Toyota Crown Signia. Um, and uh, they've they've shown this previously in Japan. It's now coming to the U.S. Uh, and I think I think it looks good. What do you think? I like how it looks. I think it looks so good. And they've said now the Venza is no more, correct? Right. The Venza is going Venza. away. Like they were oh, like, oh no. The, the fancy now the fancy RAV4. I didn't understand the Venza. Yeah. Like Apparently I was neither did anyone else. Yeah, you just like, and the rest of us. It was just like, okay, we have the RAV4. Here's a little bit better. Not right. not just a lot a better, better, just a scooch better. Yeah. I'm like, well, why wouldn't you just, just get the Rev Four? Just different, <laughs> different styling. If if yeah. you if you didn't want something that looked quite as chunky and as refined. rugged as as the a Rev Four, Venza looked a little more like it just looked prettier. It wasn't as yeah. like you said, it was, <sighs> it was a little more streamlined, a little prettier. You still wanted a Toyota, you still wanted something in that wheelhouse, that kind of sizing sort of, but you just wanted it to look a little bit nicer inside inside and out. Mm, I guess a little bit. It was so now, yeah. It was it was it was the Toyota like the the deal with Toyota is like every three inches they have a they have a they vehicle. have an SUV that's three inches bigger than the previous SUV. Well, now they've, they've ditched it. Now they have the Signia. But I keep wanting to call it the. I know it. It's just Signia, but Insignia Sig- yeah. is what I want to say. I want to put the E in front of it. I know that's Signia. not what it says, but. Somebody, somebody else is using that as a trim level, though. Who, who's got insignia? Insignia is there insignia? a trim level? Isn't that Volvo? Oh. Sound. Is it? There's somebody. Yeah. There's a somebody signature. that uses. There's somebody that uses insignia as a trim yeah, level right. on some of their vehicles. I can't remember who it is. I'm but Googling. Crazy kids. Opal. Um, <laughs> one, one interesting detail though about the Crown Signia is you know it's it's the same platform as the Crown, but the Crowns uh, you know the Crown Sedan. The Crown Sedan is um, has uh, uh, two different hybrid variants. It's got the standard hybrid synergy drive with the naturally aspirated engine and the eCVT. And they also have the hybrid max system, which has the um, eight-speed automatic and the turbocharged engine. And they're not offering the hybrid max in the Crown Signia, at least not for now. I wouldn't be surprised if in a year or two they add that as a, as an option, as an extra yeah. cost option. But for now, it's launching just with the the standard hybrid system. I That's fine. Where yes. are these people? Where are you going in the Crown Signia that you need that extra oomph? At fancy places, you never no. know. You never. Every, know everybody you. always wants a little extra oomph. Little oomph. You know, yeah. This is America no after all. Oomph. They want it, but if you don't give it to them, they won't know they're missing it. <laughs> <laughs> That's the They'll thing. They'll never know the difference. Like if you get offer it to them, like, oh yeah, I gotta get that. Like if you supersize, it's like supersize. Like you don't really need the supersize, but if someone offers it, you're like, all right. <laughs> but if they didn't offer it, you're just sort of like, oh, I'm happy with the amount of food I've gotten. Yeah. Well, um, no, that's not pr- true because the- I would never be happy with the amount of French fries I gotten. 
Always the French fry <laughs> container is too small. Even if supersizing didn't so exist, just double. Is, just ask for enough. an extra. Ask for an extra order of fries. Well, still, then you can't ask for two. You have to get one. Why? But what if they? I what if they gave you an extra one. cookie instead? No, why, wait, I don't know. Why is too? <laughs> why? Why is too greedy? Too are, are you? If you have one giant, you're in one, your you're just in your car. You're like, I need two fries. And then you pour them both in the bag and then you just – and you put them in your passenger seat with the heat on so your fries stay nice and warm. Oh, my God. I have actually rah, 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 rah. turned on the heat to keep my food warm. And I'm like – if I That is the only reason for a heated seat in most – in, in some yeah. areas of California. Will that keep your food warm? Does it act like a little heater and keep your – Oh, yeah. Warm? I do it all the time. I always turn it on when I put a pizza on my seat. <laughs> always. That's what it's for. Mm-hmm. You eat pizza while you're driving? No, I'll I'm driving just when you bring the pizza home. Oh, okay. And you put to it pick on it up. Seat next to you. Okay. And you have to drive home from the pizza place. You turn a little cold. heater on. So you turn the heated seat on with the idea that it's going to heat through the cardboard in five minutes, ten minutes, and make. Well, it'll keep warm. the cardboard instead of it getting cold. It keeps it yes, warm. That's it why I don't like heated seat controls on doors, because I can't, can't reach. reach the passenger side. Yeah, but it's your arms are long enough, side. Robbie. You should be able to reach it. But most of the ones that are on doors are usually um, uh, luxury vehicles, which are typically a little, a little bit, bit wider. Bigger. Okay. It's but like the Kona, it's just like buttons that are right there in the center console. So I can just smack that button and boom. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's important. These are important things These that we have to share with our readers. No, right. Keep your pizza warm with those heated seats, people. It's a life. That's a life hack. <laughs> yep. Life hack. <laughs> okay. So always order the car with the heated seats that you yes. don't, especially if you don't have to pay a subscription for them. Uh, you know, so you can keep your food warm. Yes. Yep. Okay. Especially yep. fries. Cause once fries get cold, they're no good. That's true. That they're is just true. trash. Yeah. All right. Um, so, uh, uh, California, state of California back in the early nineties, they came up with, um, what eventually became known as OBD2, the onboard diagnostics port, which is uh, a standardized port that you can now find on all new cars. And part of that standard is that they also had to standardize the messages for fault codes. Um, And so anybody can plug in a device into the OBD2 port on your, in, in your car. And when your check engine light comes on, um, they can read the read the check engine faults or read you know read whatever faults there are you know, if you've got a misfire or um, some you know throttle body not working properly like I had on a car once you know all kinds of things gas um, cap isn't tight enough yep. literally a thing that'll happen yes yeah. and that'll turn on the check engine light um, so that up and you know that uh, became mandatory in 1996 and that's still what they use on all new cars. But um, with EVs, they have a lot of different fault codes uh, when, when things are, when, diag- when diagnostics detect a problem. And so um, California has now come up with an update, uh, which will almost certainly become a national standard uh, because they sell more vehicles in California than everywhere else um, with a, a new port um, for EVs. And um, they will have to have standardized uh, diagnostic messages that everyone can read. Um, and they'll, they'll be standardized across the industry. So, you know, if you've got a bad cell in your batteries, it, it'll, it should be the same fault code, whether you buy a Tesla or a Cadillac or a Hyundai or, um, or a Volvo or whatever other car. Um, what do you think? Yes. 
Yes. As someone who works on cars, it's so much easier if I, I can just know what's wrong. Yeah. I feel like in general, standardizing things, like because EVs are so new, there's so many ways that we can even just measure very many things. They were all sort of, things aren't as concrete in terms of numbers and measuring and standards. And I feel like that's something that needs to happen for EVs. All right. Uh, well, we settled that, so everybody so we've settled know, the problem. Imme- immediately uh, start installing these new OBD 3 yes. ports or whatever they're going to call them. OBDVs. OBDEVs. <laughs> which, which sometimes I will call the OBD port the ODB port, which is Old yeah. Dirty Bastard from Wu-Tang Clan. <laughs> <laughs> not the same thing. Not which is not thing, the right? same thing. It is definitely not <laughs> the same thing. <laughs> it's not the same thing. Go listen to some Wu-Tang Clan after this uh, podcast. Okay. <laughs> Um, there were more EVs, uh, announced at the LA Auto Show. Yes. Um, Kia showed off a couple of concepts that they previously shown in Korea and they brought them, uh, to LA, the EV3 and the EV4. Um, interestingly, they did not bring the EV5 here, uh, which I'm, I'm not sure why, uh, but, um, you know, I guess we're probably not going to get that one anytime soon. But the EV3 and the EV4, the EV3 is a small crossover, um, kind of actually probably pretty similar in size to that EX30. Mm-hmm. Um, and the EV4 is a compact sedan, which looks like it's roughly the size of a Kia Forte, uh, which is a compact sedan, but a lot roomier inside because, you know, it's an EV. Jeez. Um, and, uh, uh, I, I did have a chance to, uh, sit down and talk with Steve Center, the, uh, uh, chief operating officer for Kia America. Um, and that interview will probably be part of next week's show. Uh, unless you are a patron, uh, in which case it'll be showing up in the next couple of days in your Patreon feed, like a bunch Ooh. of other stuff that I've been dropping in there in the last fancy, couple of days. Ooh. Um, we use that uh, money for pizza. <laughs> <laughs> and we keep it warm on the heated seats <laughs> of the press cars we drive. Yes, we, use, exactly. we use it to make sure that our cars have heated seats so and then we buy pizza. Warm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, what do you think of the EV3 and EV4? The I EV, like the EV. Which one's the, the which one's the SUV? The crossover is that the EV4? Three. The, the three. three is the crossover. It's a it little looks baby. Just like a little, it looks like an EV9. You went scooch. Yeah, it's a little baby EV9. It's a little baby EV9, and I like the EV9. So I like the little it's baby the, EV9. It's the it, mini me of EV9. It's like a. It, it's, I'm sure it's bigger than a mini me than a mini because it kind of looks like a mini. <laughs> It's no, not like, actually. I think it's. Cl- I think it's not too far off the side. Maybe just a little bit bigger than like a mini Countryman, or not. Oh, all right. Yeah. Oh, that's a, that's there you go. Yeah, I like it. It's like it's it. a good I size. It. Are these actual real pictures or these all? I'm trying to see. These, these are, all are all renderings. Renderings. Well, yeah. they're all renderings, right? Yeah. But they had the renderings. actual cars at the show. Do they look actually, just like they, these renderings, yeah. or some of these yeah. real? No, they, they they it looked just like this. It did. Just okay. printed them out. <laughs> they were just cardboard. Uh, they just did some origami. You couldn't touch them. Or they <laughs> da, 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 no, they wouldn't, they wouldn't let us touch them or sit in them. Uh, but you can see from the photos um, that, uh, you know, the way they've got the, the seat pedestal set up, there's lots of room, lots of foot room around there. Uh, yeah, there is, these are surprisingly spacious. I like how kids doing their interiors these days with their EVs. I just think they're use, making such funky use of space and materials to make them look absolutely cavernous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, two years ago at the show, they showed off the EV9 concept and the production one was pretty close to that. Yeah. Uh, so I would guess that the production versions of these, gar- of these cars 
are going to stick pretty closely to the to the designs that we see here in, the, in these concepts. Yeah. That'd be cool. I like how these look. I really do like how both of these look. I think these it'd be funny cool. if the EV3 ends up coming out and it's like $25,000 and it comes out before the new bolt. <laughs> <laughs> and that wouldn't surprise it's me. Like, oh gosh. It, yeah. See if all the companies I think it's going to come out with that in the replacement for the bolt, I feel like it's going to be the Hyundai motor group. Because they're like, we just keep making EVs and we're making money on them. So I don't know what the exactly. rest of you all are doing. We'll just keep going. <laughs> whatever you all are doing, that's whatever. It's yeah, them, I, I think. Them and, uh, I, I suspect that EV3 is probably going to end up being a replacement for uh, the Nero EV. Yeah. Mm, um, because they're gonna, yeah. they look like they're going to be pretty much yeah. the same size. Or went out for the Nero yeah. people. Yeah. Yep. Or went out for the Nero. But these, guy. you know, it's it's a little more interesting looking than the than the Nero, um, and I, I think people will really like this, especially if they can price it right. Oh yeah, mm. they get, yeah, they they get just, pretty good. Their pricing normally is pretty. They're pretty well yeah. figured out to, to savvy. Yeah, they're very savvy. All right. Um, speaking of uh, pricing, uh, the Lucid Gravity. Uh, Gravity. We they Lucid released uh, some images of gravity a couple of years ago um but they showed the production intent version in la and it's a fair bit different from you know that one was a little boxier a little chunkier Mm -hmm. than than what we saw last week and um this one the, the the production intent version is more like um the air it just looks like but they took the different. air and they like they they there was a there's like a little valve and you blew on it and it just got bigger <laughs> Like a like a balloon, you're. I do like go. how it looks. I like. But there how there are some it. there are some notable changes to it too. Oh yeah, yeah. But the, the but 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 design design language wise, you, yeah. you're, you're not gonna yeah. You're, you can it, definitely it tell it's a lucid. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, they're they're not messing around with like let's make it a little bit different. Nope. <laughs> I like that they did that. I like that they kept it like okay, we don't have it's not like we have twenty cars we got to make look alike, but we're gonna make these two look great. <laughs> Yeah, and they're gonna look like they belong together, like they're part of the same team. Yeah, it's, it's, it, I got to go to to Newhall where their HQ is. I always mm-hmm. want to say Newark for some reason. I don't know why. It's near Newark. Um, <laughs> yeah, and uh, no, it's really nice. It's nice inside. I got to sit in the little frunk thing, and there, yeah, there's it's a lot of room. Just, yeah, so they've got this this fold out pad in the frunk, so yeah, it becomes kind of like a seat. Um, so you can, and they've got molded in cup holders in the, the front fender. So when you open up the front, there's a couple of molded in cup holders there, uh, on the, oh, on each cool. side. So you can sit there in the, you know, fold out the pad, sit there in the front, um, watch the sunset and, and, you know, have a glass of wine with your, uh, with your significant other. Yeah, no, it's it, like Peter came out while I was. Uh, Peter Rawlingson, the CEO, and he's like, "This is mine." And he started. He's like, "We're gonna make this a little bit longer, and you know, they're gonna add some lights and some and, and optional like speaker like speakers so you can listen to your stereo and stuff. So it'll be really nice." But it's the idea like tailgating, but with your front. So front gating, yeah. I think was the term they they threw at me. I, I have it written down in in my notes somewhere. <laughs> yeah, but and and the interior, um, yeah, you know, has that's actually changed quite a bit from the uh, uh, from the air. Uh, well, first of all, with the, the second and third row seats folded down, there's about seven and a half feet of cargo space behind the front seats. Seven so and a, they so were showing much it, room. Yeah, they were showing it with a surfboard inside and a mountain bike. 
just so much room. Yeah. In, inside. And and, it's, and it folds flat. The, the 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 third row kind of folds almost like stow and go, where it folds into the little, the oh, the nice. the cavity beh- behind the third row, and then you put a little thing. And then the second row just folds. So it folds flat, so you have all this room to put all you know your stuff in. All your stuffs in there. Yeah. Everything you could want. And then um, for the uh, for the uh, uh, the infotainment system. They've gone, they they took this, well, the steering wheel, they kind of squished it down to make it sort of squarish. Uh, and then now there's just, there's a 34 inch OLED display that just spans across the, in the air, the, you have this 30, I think it's 34, 35 inch panel, but it's actually three separate displays in there um, with one in the middle between uh, that you can see through, through the steering wheel. And then one on each side, a smaller one for controls on the left, and then the infotainment screen on the right. Now it's just one long 34-inch continuous OLED display, and it looks amazing. Uh, and they, uh, the what they call the pilot screen, which on the air can retract into the dashboard, is now fixed in place. Um, so it it doesn't move anymore. So I'm, I'm sure that they, they probably d- realized that yeah, this is probably adding maybe a little bit of complexity that we didn't really, yeah. need. Don't really need. And in the center console, it has all those little like things you can put your stuff on, and those slide like deeper into the cavity. So you still have some space, but you just mm-hmm. don't have the coolness where you can push that button and have it slide in and then throw your stuff back there and have it slide out, and then you forget about it. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, no. It's uh, What's interesting was when I got into it, because they, you know, they, they give us a little presentation about it and the the the, uh, the steering wheel and the screen like we move the screen higher you know we've sort of smooshed down the steering wheel and, and um uh derek the he told me he's like we went through like 30 different steering wheels to come up wow. with this but when i i sat down in it i was like well th- duh this just makes sense that was <laughs> i was like well why hasn't anyone else done this why isn't you know or or you know recently versus trying to throw a yoke in there which is, you know, that was one of the reasons for the, the yoke and they gave for Tesla was that, well, with the yoke, now you can see all of the, the infotainment screen, but you could have just moved the screen higher up in your eye line and still <laughs> giving people logic, Robbie. something where you could put your hand on top of, even though that's not how you drive, but when you're, you know. But the way they have the screen set up in the Model S, you can also see it through a standard circular steering wheel. Yeah, but I'm just saying that's what they actually do now. They they stopped doing the yoke. They went back to a circular steering wheel. Yeah, but that was their reasoning. There was a lot of well, you know, I think we know how that whole thing worked out. (laughs) But no, I I I mean it'd be interesting like when to actually drive it with that steering wheel that uh, Lucid has and really sort of put it through the paces and see how it feels versus a more traditional steering wheel. But I do dig the fact that I because I have to like in the BMW the 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 camera is in the dash cluster Mm -hmm. well i usually have the steering wheel too low the way i i drive so i always have to put it higher than what i like what i feel comfortable with in order to get that thing set or the car just yells at me yeah because it's it's (laughs) set up kind of like a notch on an iphone in the top top center of the instrument cluster Mm -hmm. and so yeah if you if you put the steering wheel too low it will block it um, which is like i can't see you what's happening what are you doing you yeah. clearly aren't there pay attention I'm oh my god he's here. dead right here i'm right here he's just a neck <laughs> his head is gone his head is gone <laughs> he's been decapitated <laughs> oh, but, no. uh, i did 
Um, I did get uh, a little design walk around from Derek um, and record that on video. And that's cool. on the uh, Wheel Bearings YouTube channel. And I'll include a video. I'll include that link in the show notes, as well as a link. Uh, uh, Dave Flint, who's the head of user experience, uh, did a walkthrough on the infotainment system uh, inside the car. So uh, both of those videos will be linked from the show notes. Um, <gasps> Multitasking. It does multitasking now. Oh, yes. That was one of the complaints uh, we had about the you air. You can have the map and the audio on, and the media at the same time. <laughs> come yes. Multitasking. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Ooh, very, we didn't forget to say that because we complained about that a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, um, they did it. I forgot about it. No, wait. <laughs> I, I also had a chance to chat with uh, Mike Bell, who is the head of software Ooh. and electronics at, uh, at Lucid, as well as Eric Bach, who is the chief engineer. Uh, and uh, while while I was talking with uh, Mike and Eric, uh, Peter Rollinson uh, popped in. So um, when you listen to the interview, you will hear him pop in in the middle of that as well for for a couple of minutes to talk about the, the gravity. Hmm. Um, so that will be at the end of this episode. I'll, I'll tack that on the end. That uh, is Pete. That is Peter's mo. I'll be talking to like somebody else at the yeah. On he the just team, pops in and he'll just like, "Hey, how's it going?" Like a cameo. I'm like, yeah. oh, "Hey, what's going on?" And we're like <laughs> chat for a little bit, and he's like, "Hold on, he'll go do something. He'll come back." He's like, "Well, it's great to see you." Yeah. <laughs> he'll disappear again. I'm like, he's like Batman. He's and uh, <laughs> probably one of the friendliest uh, automotive CEOs I've met. Oh yeah, super friendly, super smart. Like like the, his, their videos where he like explains all their technology are so well made. And he should be. He could have been a teacher. I mean, he wouldn't. Yeah. Make as much money, but you could have been a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know you can support Wheelbearings directly? Head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you. And exclusives and improvements are already on the way thanks to your generosity. So if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia. Um, okay, uh, next, the Honda Prelude that uh, I saw in Japan a few weeks ago uh, was in LA as well. They brought it to LA, which um, they also confirmed that the prelude is going into production as a hybrid coupe. Um, but again, we don't know exactly when um, we don't <laughs> know for we sure again. which markets, but the fact that they did bring it all the way to Los Angeles is probably a pretty strong hint that they'll sell it in the U S yeah. It's uh, a long way to drive a car. Yeah. Especially a concept. Um, but, uh, yeah, they, they confirmed that, it, that it's going to production, uh, as a hybrid, as a coupe, as a hybrid sports coupe. It'd be nice uh, to have the Honda. Nice. Prelude. There, there are no bad preludes. Every generation of prelude is awesome for its, in its own way. No pop-up my... headlights though. Didn't the prelude have a little pop-up headlights? Well, not the first Not gen. all of them didn't. Yeah. yeah the first I, all of them the did. I drove briefly. I learned how to drive them and, um, a manual on a stick shift on a Honda Prelude with pop-up headlights. Boop, boop, boop. Actually, I think there was there may have only been one generation of Prelude that actually had the pop-ups because really? I think the last generation went back to last fixed seven. headlights. Um, first, first, second, third. I think it might have been second and third, maybe. Oh, let's all look at the Prelude. Everyone get on the internet. Let's I know, all look Honda at the Prelude, Prelude pop-up headlights. That's... Wikipedia. Honda um, Prelude Wikipedia. Let's see. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> Who's faster? Thank you for listening to our podcast while we look up things on Wikipedia. The, 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 the 1983 had second, pop-up headlights. The second yeah, and the third, second, yeah. The second generation had, and the second and third had, yeah, had pop-ups. The other three generations did not. All right. I was right. 
for I just once. remember being so panicked for about once. learning how to drive the car and not stalling it that I kept meaning to hit the turn signal and I was managing to turn the headlights on and off like I was hitting the wrong thing. It was like pop, pop, <laughs> pop, pop constantly. We were driving at night. I'm like, oh, oh my gosh. That's awesome. Yeah. It's like you're winking at the world. It was just winking. Winky, like, winky. Wink, wink. Don't know how to drive this. Get out of the way at <laughs> <laughs> the time. <laughs> All right. Um, the last uh, item for this week. Um, oh, at, well, the last news item um, yes. from L.A. Uh, was the uh, launch of the Genesis GV80 Coupe, um, which, as with every other luxury SUV, you know, you've got your wagonish version. And now there's a fastback version that uh, uh, gets rid of some interior space uh, in the in the name of style. Um, style. But, What's more, well, the for the for the GV80 Coupe, they're adding in uh, as an option the um, electric supercharged uh, V6 that is also in the G90, uh, which is a quite a powerful engine. Um, but I think the the bigger news is that for both GV80 body styles, they have a new interior, and there's a very important update. Um, so it. You know, like a lot of other Hyundai and Genesis and, and Kia vehicles, they're going to this, you know, one large curve, curve display. Um, and that's fine, you know, what whatever. But the the most important change to the GV80, can you guys spot it in the photo? I'm staring at the photo. Um, Did it not have a little ball thing? No. Which one there was there was one major thing that we all complained about with the GV80, oh. which was the center controller, the center console controller. It was flush with the center console oh, and it had that neural yeah. ring around the edge of it, yeah, yeah, but it, yeah. it also rocked. And so to, to spin it, you had to press hard enough on that, the outer ring that you oftentimes ended up clicking in addition right. to, yeah. to turning it. They changed and it up. They, they changed it up. They made it stand up apart from the center console. Like they do on some of the other models, like the, the G80 and the, um, uh, the GV70. So it'll it'll Good be job, it'll be more functional. And Robbie, uh, before you joined us earlier, we were talking about a story that just popped up on AutoCar uh, just in the last hour or so uh, about refreshed Hyundai Tucson uh, that they announced in the UK, and presumably it'll be coming here. And it's also getting rid of the touch controls on the center stack and going to uh, re- restoring physical controls for the climate controls. Well, some of them like. At Hyundai was like, yeah, buttons are the thing, like way to way to go. At some point, like in the last six months, I forget who, I forget the exact timing, but I know I was like, oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, way to right. listen to your owner, buyers, customers. That's the word. Yeah, customers. Buy things, customers. Yes. The money peoples. All right. Um, we did have a, a listener question that I forgot to paste Doesn't into the. There's nothing there. It's the, empty. Um, yeah, I just got to find it here. It, I, I have it. Hey, you guys, all I can see is a cursor frantically moving around on our draw on our file. Oh, that's me. I just, I'm a twitchy Robbie's person. Like, just like being twitchy. <laughs> I do this a lot. All right. Oh, you're going to make me dizzy, man. Keep so, watching it. Watch, watching it. It's magic. Pa- Patrick <laughs> writes in, um, by email, uh, and you can send in your questions at feedback at wheelbearings.media. Uh, or you can even record them. Uh, you know, you can you can always record your audio, record your question or comments, and we'll use that in the show as well. But it must be uh, in the form of a rap or a sea shanty. <laughs> it does not need to be in the form <laughs> of a rap or a sea shanty. You can just That's, speak normally. But we'd like it better if it were. But go ahead. Yeah. Okay. 
Just saying. (laughs) (laughs) Patrick asks, uh, first, love the show. Uh, Pretty sure I found you because of the Twit Network. Uh, Listen to you all on the back show. Listened to all of the back shows. Wow, Patrick. Thank you. And and we're sorry. Um, And haven't missed any of the new shows yet. Uh, Keep up the great work. Uh, Not very serious question. seems like you never test drive any cars from Porsche. Do they not loan out cars to the media? I think that their continued use of buttons for AC controls and the radio makes the cockpit one of the best. We never have Porsches here in the Northeast ever, ever. So for us. I'm going to say. Yeah, go ahead. um, So, yeah. So here's, here's, here's the deal with Porsche in where I live. Porsche has a big center down in L.A. And getting a car up here for the very few automotive journalists who still live in the Bay Area um, is kind of a pain in the butt for them. I've been told that if I were not lazy and I went down to L.A., they would <laughs> give me a car to drive up here. And but I, I, I don't know if lazy is the word busy. I'm, I, you know, if I was if I if I had more free time, I could go down and they would they would give me uh, a car. So, you know, there's that's there you go. We and just they, don't get them in this area. Yeah, they, they do. They do occasionally have them here in the Detroit area, uh, but it seems that they mostly just give them to the, the bigger publications yeah. um, to, you know, to car and driver and, and, you know, some of the road and track guys that are still around here um, and a few of the a couple of the bigger websites. But um, I have I have asked and asked and asked to drive a Tycon and he said, yeah, absolutely. We'll definitely get you in one. And. And then somehow it never quite happens. Yeah. I've driven every Tycon, but that was before. I, I, I guess talked to them a lot, I guess, about them. Or I didn't talk to them, which is very weird. Um, so what are you doing? Talking to the car, man. That's how you get the best experience. <laughs> um, yeah, so no, they're all there. I, I really like the Tycon, if that helps. I don't know if that helps at all. But, you know, um, it's those really high-end OEMs and like Porsches are not – inexpensive cars and they don't make bazillions of them like they do some other cars. So to have cars for media fleet, it's not going to have the kind of media fleet that Toyota has. Or yeah. Like so they, they have, you know, they have so a they more have limited a number more of limited, vehicles. Yeah. They have a available. limited number of vehicles and they don't loan them out as readily. And they're just, it's just a limited number. And you, yeah. So I think and, that's part of it. And, you know, for example, you know, you may not get them at all in New Hampshire. Um, mm-hmm. We certainly don't get them here in Michigan during the winter time. So, yeah. you know, it's kind of, you know, from April to about, September, October is when the they're narrow window when you can drive them, them in places yeah. like Michigan and New Hampshire. Yeah. So with so we, all that we get said, them during construction season. Yeah. Yeah, with exactly. all that said, I drove a Porsche this past weekend. <laughs> Did you really? No way. Is that when you were I in drove, Vegas? It was. I was in Vegas. They took oh, us to the track. Right. I drove a 911 GT3 on the track, uh, Las Vegas Motor Speedway. There you, go. Um, there you go. It was outstanding. There's video of it. Of me driving, Ooh. and I have, and I and I realize when I'm when I'm on a track, I have resting track face. This looks like I'm frowning, <laughs> like I have a slight frown, but I'm just like you know, okay, I got my picks kind of hit here, but lift, half break, a little bit of break, okay, You're push, 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 yeah, yeah, I'm focused because I'm trying to I'm trying to like do a good job on the track because I'm on the track and you know you don't get to do that very often, so when you have the time. You want to like, okay, go, 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 all right, all right, break, break, hard break, all right. And, and, and you definitely break. do not want to mess up, especially yeah. with an expensive car, but just with anything that they let Any us. Any car, you don't want to mess up. When they let us loose on a track, you know, what. Oh, yeah. You we, don't, we, you know, you don't want to be spinning off into the, 
into the I weeds. Think we, or into we, the... we all look very, very focused because it's a combination of truly paying attention to what you're doing and also please don't crash, please don't crash. Please you don't want to be that you... person that yeah. every other automotive journalist talks about for the next 15 right. years. Remember that one time? <laughs> Remember Robbie that time? Or Nicole that Robbie. Or Sam? Yeah, we don't want to be that one time. Like, when like who, whoever it was that crashed the uh, M3 um, competition uh in south carolina the other week oh yes, no I about that i heard did hear about that i didn't oh, hear that, I did hear that they, they never the said who it was but to the runoff did not like an actual no like, it was on the on the road oh <gasps> crunched yeah. up the front end of the car oh man well maybe they'll so, bring it to palm springs next year so i can because i don't really want to go all the way to south carolina i like palm springs because i can <laughs> they have close. thermal and they have nice roads and yeah all right. Uh, anyway, um, serious question. When you talk about miles per kilowatt hour uh, or a similar stat for EV range, could you compare it to MPG somehow? Uh, maybe take an average price of electricity in the U.S. I live in Massachusetts and gas prices average $3.30 a gallon. So I can easily figure out the cost per mile. It seems like uh, three fifty uh, a gallon for gas that an EV costs about half as much per mile to drive. Do you agree? I feel like electric so, prices are so varied around the country. Yeah, so you you have to worry about the the problem is the variables about is the the pricing. Well, I mean, gas prices are variable around the country too. So that's the other weird thing. I can't. So here's here's a little uh, thing I did with with my cars. I have a BRZ. Let, let me see what the 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 thing for the BRZ two hundred BRZ EPA. And so the B my BRZ gets thirty miles per gallon um, highway. The uh, Kona Electric that we have gets, a, you know, we average probably about 3.7 miles per kilowatt hour. Now, the, I did this computation using the idea that gas was $5 a gallon and that I'm paying because I live in San, I live in, in Northern California and PG, PG&E pays, uh, charges a lot for electricity. I'm paying 25 cents or 24 cents is when I did this, this 24 cents per kilowatt hour off peak to charge my vehicle at home. So there we go. I That's figured about out twice what I pay here. Yeah, exactly. It's it's yeah. So our, our prices, all our prices are, are higher here. Higher. Everything's more expensive California. in California because California, because we have the beach and the mountains and birds and stuff. Uh, so I figured out how much it would cost to drive each vehicle 100 miles to drive my uh, BRZ. It was $18 to drive uh, my Kona. It was six dollars. No, eight dollars. Anyway, no, six dollars. It was six dollars. So it was, uh, so yeah, one third. Yeah, so, so one third. third. Now that's going to be variable. It's going probably going to go up to half in certain areas based on you know a the the vehicle you drive and everything. But this is you know again it's like three point seven ish, and that's when I'm driving. If I drive the Kona, my wife drives Kona. As soon as she gets in, she puts it in sport mode. And she she leaves and and the uh she doesn't turn up the uh the uh, regenerative braking she has it on like level one and so she's just flying around everywhere and when I drive it I put it you know I just drive it in regular normal mode because I'm just driving on the freeway 99 percent of the time so I don't see the point in sport mode at that point and I put it on the regen all the way so you know it sort sort of fluctuates but based on your driving skills it yes it's going to be at least half I'm assuming. Um, based on your gas prices and your electricity prices. And this, again, it's way cheaper to charge it at home. So, 
you know, that if you factor in the fact that you have to pay X amount of, you know, let's say $1,000, $700 to get that put into your house, you know, you, the whole, yeah, it's the whole thing. Or you plug it into your wall, blah, blah, blah. Overall, though, once you have that sort of infrastructure created at your home, you're just going to start, you know, reaping the benefits of EVs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in general, somewhere between a third and a half of the cost uh, per mile is a good rule of thumb for EVs versus equivalent gas vehicle. So, you know, if it costs you um, 10 bucks to drive 100 miles, it might cost you somewhere between three and five dollars to drive uh, an EV the same distance. Um, now, that is assuming you charge at home. If you charge at DC fast chargers all the time and you're not using the free charging that, you know, if you get, if you buy a new EV, a lot of times you get some free DC charging. If you're paying for DC fast charging, that gap closes way up and it might yeah. end up being, depending on where you're charging, uh, it could end up being almost as much for, the EV as it does, as it does for gas. Like when um, the, uh, the guys at TFL did a test uh, about a month or so ago, they, they got a Silverado EV uh, and did a towing test with it. And they, when they went to charge it back up at an electrify America station, 350 kilowatts, um, they had, they had compared it. They were running it side by side with um, an F-150 hybrid. And it ended up costing them about the same for electricity to drive the same. They drove about 200 miles towing a trailer and it ended up costing them roughly this, almost the same. Like it was within a dollar or two, about a hundred bucks uh, roughly for both of those vehicles because DC fast charging is way more expensive if you have to pay for it. It's about uh, the, the prices here in Northern California. I've seen 43 to 56 cents per kilowatt hour for mm. DC fast charging. Yeah, and Electrify America charges 48 cents a kilowatt hour if you're not on their subscription plan where you pay like 4 or 5 dollars a month. Mm. And then if you do that, then you get a they drop it down to 36 cents a kilowatt hour. And they're starting to vary that depend based on region, but yeah, it so um if you're if you're charging at home on a level 2 charger, then it's yeah, it's a lot cheaper. Um and we will at least I'll try to uh, give some MPGE numbers going forward when we have EVs uh, to give you a little basis for comparison. Um, you can also look at the uh, fueleconomy.gov website and look at the EVs. They they do list they they list the um, kilowatt hours per hundred miles efficiency, but they also list um, the MPGE, which is there's a a calculate there's a formula for converting based on the energy use, you know, for the equivalent of a gallon of gas. Um, and uh, those, those numbers are all listed there uh, for each vehicle, each EV on fueleconomy.gov. Yeah. It's a, it's a weird calculation and it, mm. it, it, it I, I don't know. I, I still like the kilowatt hours going forward, but, but when we're still dealing with a gas world, then, you know, that helps people to figure out, Oh, well, if I buy this, this car, it gets 104 miles per gallon e yeah <laughs> so like all right okay i understand that but going forward i, I really think we're moving to mile uh miles per kilowatt hours because if it's higher then you're doing better yeah all right um anything else uh for for this week no that's it um 
when does this episode go live? Uh, tomorrow. To decide. Tomorrow. Okay. Well, if it goes unless you've tomorrow. got something you want to talk about that's under embargo, I can hold it. I well, I take the embargo ends at two a.m. Oh, tomorrow. okay. Cool. Oh, so what okay. got? good. So I went to uh, Singapore. Oh, beautiful Singapore. Beautifully humid Singapore, where the, the main the main uh, attraction while you're there is getting out of the heat. <laughs> like everything is just geared towards getting out of the heat. Um, but while I was there, I was uh, in Singapore with uh, the fine people of Hyundai, and they uh, took me to their little innovation center, their their Hyundai Motor Group. They have this uh, this facility there where they're building ionic fives and the emotional ionic five robo taxis um they're building the ionic fives just for singapore and uh, if you know anything about singapore it's very 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 expensive to to buy a car in singapore the cars are expensive you have to like there's this crazy tax you have to like sign up for a lottery so they're not going to send sell a lot of vehicles there um this facility i was at um their 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 target is thirty thousand. Um, per year, uh, which is probably more than Singapore needs, which means they'll probably start selling them to to, to other regions, um, to other areas in the region. Um, but they had some really interesting um, ideas on how to build uh, cars instead of a assembly line. They had these things called cells, which were essentially like, here's an area where now we do this. This is the area where we put the uh, we, we you know we marry the battery to the to the uh to the vehicle and this is the area where we put the seats in and the dash and if you've ever been to uh a, you know a traditional um uh assembly line things like dashboards and seats those are typically you know put in by humans because there's variables as you're putting these things in you know the the car's a little bit a, a little you know every car isn't exactly the same so there might be a little bit some, some discrepancies in where the holes are by like you know a few millimeters or you know there's this discrepancy in where the car is along the line with a few so it's really difficult for robots to do that whereas you know when because the, the car is sort of moving or even when it stopped it's still like it didn't stop in exactly the right place because of the the nature of how the assembly lane works Hyundai, uh, they showed us uh, where they have robots that are actually doing that. It puts the dashboard in and screws it in, and it's putting the seats in, and it's screwing it in. And so, you know, they're they're like, we're using regular robots, you know, that we're always using, but we put uh, computer vision on them. We're going to be using AI. And the idea is eventually, you know, they still aren't there yet because we talked about those variables where there's like little, little itty bitty differences. Um, Mm -hmm. But at some point they were talking about maybe 3D scanning a vehicle as it's going down the the line so that when it gets to every section it gets to, the machine, the the robot, has knows that the variables of this ver- this vehicle versus the variables of the vehicle ahead of it are the variables of the vehicle behind it, and you know they're doing all this in this very low yield um, uh, facility. But some of these things will uh, they're hoping will eventually make their way into uh, into other you know larger facilities like the meta plant they're building in Georgia. And they also let me like sit in a car while they did the sky track, which is a track on like the fourth floor of this building. It's like a little loop. Oh, wow. um, and then they're, they have plants. They're going plants. <laughs> they're like hydroponics. It's yeah, it's a, it's a lot. It's, it's quite a lot. Uh, so there'll be an article on Ars Technica and on SAE um, in the, in the next few days. So, ch- so check those out, but no, it's, it's really interesting because you you know, you see these other automakers are sort of pulling back on their EV, um, 
what they're doing with EVs. And Hyundai's just going like, you know what, we're doing so, you know what, we could think about in addition to building all these factories and selling all these cars, we're going to build a factory just to learn how to make those other factories better while we're building EVs. We're just going to have this whole test bed area in Singapore to figure out, you know, the best way to build EVs in uh, these other factories. So it was, no, it was, it was really interesting. And um, it's, uh, you know, and, and you know, one of the concerns, of course, is like, well, if you have a robot doing this, what happens to that human? Some people will still have to, you know, the people who have to run, you know, they have a control center to like, keep an eye on all this, which you don't typically have. But you also have to take into account that Hyundai's also at this meta plant. They're also building this giant battery facility. So there's going to be humans that will be working there. So, oh, and I saw their little robot spot because they bought Boston Dynamics. Oh, they had oh. One this guy, around. he's putting things, you know, he's, he's tightening things on this vehicle that's above his head. And he has um, this exoskeleton, so it reduces... Um, fatigue on his arms while he's reaching above his head and then spot would come up behind him and take pictures and make and it was doing quality control which you're like oh that's cute except for the fact that at the end of the little head um there's it's like three prongs and they open and then it takes the picture so it looks like this i'm sorry i'm trying like it's about to bite you Yes, it looks like it's a, like like a Venus flytrap or like something from Aliens. The most terrifying thing, just to take a picture. And I'm like, why does that even need to be there? Just have the camera on me. <laughs> why does it need that little protection? Just to freak you I, out, Robbie. It's I, th- just I think the designers at Boston Dynamics deliberately try to make their robots as freaky as possible. Yeah, every, it's it, like, it, like a little trots over and you're like, oh, that's kind of cute. And then it's like, Wah! it's got these little <laughs> prongs that open up. Did you did you ever see the episode uh, of uh, Black Mirror called Heavy Metal? Yes, the the essentially the Amazon episode. Yeah, and they they have have uh, a robot. They have robots in there that are very much like Spot. Yes, they're um, and the idea is that they're they're essentially uh, security guards. Yeah, and run amok because society has collapsed, and but no one turned off the security guards. <laughs> oh geez. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty. Anyway, go watch Black Mirror um, and also uh, listen to Wu-Tang Clan and, uh, I don't know, check out what Hyundai's doing. <laughs> All right, cool. <laughs> um, and, and don't forget to go to and, – Yeah, and go get a pizza. Keep it warm on your heated seats. Um, exactly. And, and uh, go buy some merch at uh, shop.wheelbearings.media. Get, uh, get several different styles of shirts. Awesome. Uh, different, lots of different bold colors that you can choose from. Uh, some different designs on there. Um, I'm wearing one right now. I'm wearing my uh, oh my, my Miata one right now. Very nice. Yeah, in in red. So, um, yeah, go go get that. Um, and uh, yeah, if you feel like uh, supporting the show and you want an ad free version of it, don't forget uh, Patreon. You can support us on Patreon. Uh, we got a bunch of patrons there, and we thank you for that. And thank you. Get ad free versions of the shows, and you get. Uh, other content uh, before everybody else does, uh, like the uh, the design walk around videos with Derek Jenkins and and the and with Dave Flint and uh, and the interview um, with um, Mike Bell, Eric Bach, and Peter Rollinson. There you go. And that will be coming up right after this. As we say, see you later. Bye. Bye. Adios. 
Hey everybody, it's Sam. Uh, this week, following the reveal of the new Lucid Gravity electric SUV, I had a chance to chat with Mike Bell, the head of software and electronics at Lucid, and also Eric Bach, the chief engineer. Uh, and while we were chatting, uh, Peter Rawlinson, the CEO and CTO of Lucid, also popped in for a few minutes uh, to offer some comments uh, about uh, their new vehicle. So enjoy. All right. So, Mike, you are um, in charge of software for Lucid. Software and electronics. Software yep. and electronics. Yep. And um, obviously with modern EVs, actually modern cars in general, but particularly with EVs, software plays a crucial part of that. Absolutely. And, uh, you, know, you know, when when the car first launched, a few, few glitches in there, but yep. it's gotten a lot better yep. since then. And I guess... Talk a little bit about you know, kind of what is the overall strategy for Lucid in terms of software, uh, and the software architecture, the electronic architecture. Absolutely. Well, I mean, the the biggest thing, if you want to produce, if you want to be a, a modern EV car, or I think even just a modern car company, you have to do the software and hardware yourself. The days when you can farm it out to tier threes and tier twos, and then have them combine stuff, you end up with a you end up with something that's not compelling. So. From the beginning, the majority of the hardware and software in the car is done in-house. And we've been really, uh, even since the launch of the Air, we've been building the capability up. A lot of my senior team from Apple has come on board, joined me, and you know, we, as you say, we've you know, made pretty big improvements to the software. Gravity takes it even to a next level. But the, the key thing for us, you know, we take a systems approach. So we don't take hardware and say, okay, great, what can we do with it? You know, we figure out what's the user experience? How do we want the customer to interact with the car? What's, what's, what's it like? Derek's team um, and uh, Eric's team and my team, you know, the three disciplines, we then sit down together and figure out how do we take a systems approach to make this real. So we, the hardware and the software and the design all work together. And because we do it in-house, we can worry about the littlest details. And that's really key, you know. You, you can't do that by throwing together third-party pieces. So from an architectural standpoint yep. for the software, is, is this um, you know, what we think of as a, 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 a middleware-based OS, you know, where you've got an abstraction layer between the, the applications and the underlying hardware? Well, I mean, or so something different. Well, it, you know, it depends. So on our uh, gravity is a whole new architecture. Um, we haven't really talked a lot about it yet, but you know, you the know, software or the hardware or the well, electronics or well, both. Really, either. But I can tell you a bit about it. So, um, you know, with, with Air, we have with our Sapphire, we uh, we um, have kind of a, a newer platform than the original Air launched with. This is newer still. It's based on a state of the art, brand new chip coming out from one of our partners. Um, we have a hypervisor running on it to give us uh, the ability to run some sort of safety critical code at the same time have a guest operating system on top. The, the state of the silicon has advanced to the point now where you don't really pay a huge performance penalty for that. So we can really separate things and we can containerize things and really have a much more modern architecture than we could in the past, largely driven by the hardware architecture that we've chosen for the vehicle. Um, and then so we have um, the safety critical yeah. items, and then we also have the user interface items. We're running just like we do today. We have the open source version of Android. But really, the operating system is open source Android. Everything else is in-house. So we port, you know, we've essentially worked with the chipset provider. We've taken their port, we've hardened it, we've done a lot of work to it, and then we've added all the layers on top of it to really make it lucid. So um, can you say who that chipset provider is? We haven't said yet, so okay. I, I'd have to check. We can check um, if I'm allowed to say that. Contractually, okay. I'm not sure what I'm allowed to say, so. Well, I see what industries enter 2024, um, and we're going to be going to do a technology deep dives all through the year, so okay. a lot of the information will come out at some point soon, but as of yeah. right now, we are at the room. 
Well, for, well and what I can tell you is, so, so uh, Sapphire, which yeah. is the most amazing car I've ever driven, um, that has a platform based on a Qualcomm chip, okay. which is much faster than the chip we built in the original Air, and you really see the performance in the Sapphire is much snappier, you know, just much, uh, a bit richer because is that of the, for the, the digital cockpit part? The, the digital cockpit, yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, as far as the EE architecture yep. goes, is that is it uh, a more centralized computer architecture? Is all yeah. Well, so what we've done is, you know, the original Air, we had seventy plus computers in the car. Some of them are door controllers and window controllers. I mean, those. But we've even brought some of that in house. We've centralized things more. We've uh, uh, we have combined functions into you know fewer units so that we have better economies of scale and also just fewer you know, fewer devices, better cost, better weight. It turns out, um, and we have. Um, redone our, our so it's an Ethernet ring based kind of well, not ring it's Ethernet topo- a gigabit Ethernet topology with gateways the gateway to the uh, legacy automotive buses we've optimized those so we have fewer of those as well it's really we took all the lessons we learned from Air and just made it you know that much better so it's it's a derivative of Air but it's just you know faster and fewer parts and more reliable and fewer components okay uh, going back to the software uh, on the uh, you know, one of the the things that we're seeing, you know, I talked earlier. I mentioned, I asked earlier about you know, kind of this middleware type of approach with the APIs. Um, are are is that you know, the the approach of having APIs uh, for the application layers, the the things that consumers see or interact with? Um, is that something that you're doing in your software? Uh, well, I mean, yes. I mean, so. APIs to get to the hardware rather than having applications directly read oh, sensors. Of course, of course, yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah. What we've done is so we have we have the base base Android, mm-hmm. and base Android gives you certain system services you can rely upon. We've created a framework layer that everything that you see in the car sits on top of, so the applications don't hit the hardware directly. They're they're abstracted. So the cool thing about that is, of course, if we were to change the underlying hardware, we don't have to rewrite the software because it's that middle layer that gives us the abstraction, but the you know, so the applications are agnostic to the platform. And um, you know, as the industry in general kind of moves in that direction, one of the challenges for partners, because obviously there's going to be some, there's always going to be some things that, some parts of the software that you're not going to do in-house, you're going to rely on partners, uh, presumably anyway. Um, and uh, for, for those supplier partners, um, having Different APIs from every manufacturer is, is a challenge, and recently we saw GM contribute um, uh, their API definitions from Altify to the Kavisa um, uh, effort. Um, is is that a direction that uh, Lucid is looking at going towards at least standardizing the APIs? I don't think so. I mean, honestly, um, you know, first of all, we don't. There, we have very few suppliers who supply pieces to us that, that would have that would touch that API. We literally do all that technology in house. Oh, okay. Um, so the, the cool thing is, and it's it's one of our strengths because you know we can then worry about ex- the, the exact details. We can optimize it for the performance or for the the features or whatever we want to do. Um, the you know the people like to standardize APIs because that way they can farm things out. And it makes it easier for third parties to write stuff. If you're not a technology company and you can't do it all yourself, those APIs become important. We do it all ourselves. I mean, so we have the strength and we have the technical know-how to really move fast and 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 be, you know manage our own destiny that way. So it's not a big benefit to us to have to farm out those APIs because frankly, we wouldn't make very much use of it. Okay. With uh, yeah, just introduce yeah. you to oh. Eric Bach, our Hi. engineer. Hi, Eric. Nice Hi. to meet you. Nice to meet you. 
So um, one another um, you know, thing around the, the software-defined vehicle, one of the things that we hear a lot about is moving towards um, subscription revenue models yep. uh, for consumers. And is that something that Lucid is looking at having uh, features available on demand for customers uh, that they can subscribe to? You know, I mean, it's something we've looked at. I, I tell you, you know, I've seen the experiments where people have tried to make customers pay for like heated seats and things yeah. like that. I mean, that seems a little absurd. Um, I think there could be something in the future where, you know, you don't have to pay for the feature initially when you buy the car, but you could subscribe to it. Um, you know, we're, we're open to something like that, but it would have to make sense. You know, we, we build a luxury vehicle. We don't want our customers to think we're nickel and diming them for something they should get as part of the car. But, you know, I, I think that is one of those holy grails that people have been trying to figure out, as well as how to monetize data. Yeah. Like, those are the two things that everyone talks about, but no one's really come up with a good way to do it yet. What about uh, things like, you know, you've got your Dream Drive ADAS. Yeah. You know, and as that progresses and adds more capability. We could do that. Uh, we, we could do that. I mean, certainly. And in fact, we've, we've built the car in such a way that we can enable and disable features over the air. So our, one of the fundamental things for us is <clears throat> almost every part of the car is updatable over the air. And it's just, you know, it's from day one, that was something we built in. We can turn features on and off over the air with a flick of a switch. So we have the infrastructure to enable it for something like that. And really it becomes, what's the business model? What's the price point? You know, how are we trying to incentivize people to, you know, buy the feature? But yeah, we have that capability. Okay. Eric, since you're here uh, as chief engineer on the vehicle, what, um, you know, for just the second vehicle from a new automaker, you know, it sounds like you've made some pretty fundamental changes uh, going from air, well, actually, you can go from air, the original air to sapphire and now to gravity. Um, can you talk a little bit about, you know, kind of what's driving those changes and what are, what, are, what are some of the highlights of what has changed as you've gone from the original air to the gravity? Yeah, absolutely. For us, it was a huge a step actually to get gravity on the ground and we wanted to make a true SUV and that's why we've fundamentally redesigned the architecture. So we didn't just prop up the air platform as other cars do it, we fundamentally designed it as a true SUV with functionality and then the ride and handling and utility in mind. The key element that is um, in this car that defines the space inside is our space concept, mm -hmm. where we again have a cap forward design. We maximize the leg room in all three rows. We have a super intelligent folding uh, seating arrangement that now enables a, an immense amount of storage space. You have a fold flat second row that actually ducks down to the same height as the rear sill entry, the third row seat folds back down and everything is one big surface and you can now pack a whole apartment's worth of IKEA goods into the trunk if you're moving in, right? So the, the fundamental um, target was to make a really spacious vehicle within the exterior dimensions shorter than our direct competitors. So, um, you know, as, a, as an SUV, Kind of what what is you know the the target for 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 Lucid with this vehicle? Uh, you know, obviously, I, I, well, I maybe I shouldn't say obviously. I don't think you're necessarily trying to compete with the Jeep Wrangler. Uh, but you know, what's what 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 do you see as of this vehicle? And what you know, what what is the the range of what you're trying to accomplish with the Gravity? 
Yeah, I would say our competitive set is all the premium to luxury SUVs above sixty-five, seventy thousand dollars. It's the two-row and the three-row versions of the major players, whether they're in Germany or uh, uh, Detroit. Mm-hmm. Um, so, off-roading, for example, how how far would you? Or what you know? What, what would be the upper or the limit of? the off-road capability of a, of a car like Gravity? Well, as you said, it's not like a Jeep Wrangler. It's not a true off-roader, but it's an extremely capable SUV. As you see in our uh, video, mm-hmm. we can make the car jump. Uh, yeah. Of course, you need to be a trained driver, right? You can get things wrong. <laughs> uh, it can power slide through the desert. It can uh, dune crawl, dune drive. It can uh, rock crawl to a certain extent. We've changed the gear ratio on our drive units to a um, smaller gear ratio so that you've got more torque at every single wheel, which helps us with rock crawling or steep uh, inclines, as well as towing capability, where we've now put 6,000 pounds of towing capability on there, on top of the 1,500 pounds of um, uh, yeah, extra mass that you can put into the car. Um, you know, as the, the second platform, for a startup manufacturer um, was trying to make it easier to manufacture and and reduce the cost of manufacturing a a major element of what you looked at in in developing this vehicle? Of course. So as you remember, we started the the Lucid Air with a very small team and we brought it to a market in a really short time after the funding came through. And we've enhanced the capabilities. We've got a much larger engineering team. We've got all the lessons learned from here. And of course, we've paid uh, assiduous uh, attention to detail in terms of target costing, designing smarter. Now you've got more eyes to engineer a fundamentally better vehicle, do some benchmarking on things that don't don't really um, make the car excel. There are just standard topics that you can get wrong or right, and we've got the majority of them right, I hope, mm-hmm. or everything. Uh, so we fundamentally uh, designed to cost uh, and DFM designed for manufacturing on this vehicle. Are you, um, you know, from a structural standpoint, are you leveraging uh, some of the things that other companies are doing uh, around large-scale castings, things like that? Uh, we have pretty significant castings already in here. Mm-hmm. They are maybe not to the extent of uh, what some other companies do, but they're quite substantial. And we have done the same on Gravity. It's still a low-volume car compared to those that you're talking about. Uh, so you you may not see the return on investment on this mega big thing uh, in our segment. But we've got large castings. We are working on lean manufacturing technologies and processes. It's again a full aluminium body structure uh, that's even more efficient than on air. So yeah, we're paying a lot of attention to reducing cost and making it the right manufacturing uh, technology for its volume and segment. So yeah, question for for both of you to respond to. Um, The HMI, the human machine interface, how has that evolved from things you learned from air to this vehicle, both in software and hardware perspective? Well, I, I think um, a couple things. So from a hardware perspective, you know, uh, Dirk's design team and Eric's engineering team have done a really great idea, a really great design of moving the uh, cluster up a bit, but still giving you perfect line of sight out of the car so it's not obstructed by the steering wheel. 
And that gives us the flexibility to have a much richer set of information there because it's not blocked. We also got a lot of feedback on air around what people liked and didn't like. You know, it's interesting. We have customers who are coming from, I'll say, analog cars who just want simple, and we have tech customers who want every bell and whistle. So we're trying to provide a curated experience. We don't want to provide every option for everybody and just throw it on the wall. We try to provide what we think is a curated experience, but we also are providing more power user features. We're providing better multitasking. So one of the things we heard about from our air customers was, I like to have one thing running on this screen and one thing running on the what we call the pilot panel. Right. We're doing that now. So we're giving you the option to really use it like an air or customize it if you're a power user. And it's really hard to do. It's hard to... Yeah, that was one of yeah. the limitations on the air is, you know, often you would have basically the same information on both screens. And, well, and, and the idea behind that originally was an application could use both pieces of real estate to provide more information, right. which some customers love. Um, and some customers really, as, as we were just saying, want different things. We just shipped a software update um, this week that provides more multitasking in the air. You have a widget on the instrument cluster that now gives you whatever apps in the background, it now shows you that information on the cluster. So you have a, a pseudo multitasking kind of environment, which is a, a step towards what we're providing in Gravity, which is a fully new user experience. We call it uh, user experience 3.0. Okay. And not to forget the compute hardware. Yes. We are many years on from yeah. when we started there. So yeah, it's it's much it's state of the art compute hardware. We were talking about it earlier. It's uh, okay. it, it really gives us the flexibility to provide a much richer experience. And uh, you know some of the things uh, that I'm sure you saw with the 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 um, the modes where you can you know have kind of the outside coming to your car while you charge. You know, a lot of this is really made possible by our more advanced hardware in the car. Um, and the, the shift uh, to the, the OLED display, is that yeah. one continuous display it's or one continuous yeah. OLED and a magnesium die-cast housing, super thin, it's like five millimeters thick on the on the perimeter. We've just evolved from our LCD, which was a compound curvature, right. tapered design, already super class and super unique. We've now taken that to the next level by investing in a custom OLED panel for us. It's, it's beautiful. I mean, it's it's an amazing display. Um, and then uh, both panels yeah. are actually OLED. Okay. Oh, the, oh, the, so the pilot the panel ultra, is also OLED? Uh, yes, you okay. get an ultra-high contrast ratio, which helps us with a digital detox. Mm -hmm. And one, one of the things I liked about the Air was, you know, the, the balance of, you know, retaining some degree of physical controls for features like climate control that you, yeah. use, you may use frequently. Yeah. So we have kept that philosophy because we got so overwhelmingly positive feedback from our uh, customers that they said everybody else is going uh, into screens only or there are some others that have way too many buttons. So we're trying to find that sweet spot where you get everything that you really need to access quickly on a push of the button and you get a great haptic response. So we still have the control blade under the pilot panel. And we've got now customizable buttons so that you can say, I want to start every morning with a massage. You put your massage on the customizable <laughs> button nice. and then you, that switches on immediately. Yeah. We've got a, a, a good level of seat controls because just making a quick adjustment, why would you go into a screen menu? Uh, the same with the windows and so on. So, and, and we have stores. Mm -hmm. So uh, there is a, a big division around stores, but we got overwhelming feedback. Thank you for keeping stores. And thank you for not chopping the top, top round half of, of your steering wheel and so on. So mm -hmm. There are many, many um, customer feedbacks that we've taken to heart and we've honed in, as said, with these customizable button features. Okay. And you know, it's, it's harder to do what we've done. You know, having just everything be a touch control is kind of easy. 
having a mixture of physical controls and touch controls means everything has to stay in sync. That you know you can't be you can't be surprised. You, know, you can't have things that are that are showing different status. Yeah. So it's a lot of extra work. But I think it's one of the one of the really one of the best features of the car because people feel they don't feel overwhelmed. You know, it feels natural. At the same time, if you like touch, you have that option as well. And uh, you know, for me personally, as someone who actually enjoys driving. You know, being able to have some physical controls, to have muscle memory, so I'm not constantly looking for a touch target on the screen, I think is is a real benefit. I mean, the volume roller for me is my favorite. I mean, yeah. I, I change the volume all the time, and yeah. I would hate to have to use a slider to do that. All Anyway, that, that volume roller to me is just, you know, it, 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 of course it should have that. Hey, Peter. How you doing? Good to see you. Nice, nice job. Thank you. Just talking to your team here. He's done a, done a great thing here with the, with the gravity. Huge team effort. It's going to be just next level everything. Next level um, physical and hardware and next, le- next level digital as well. Yeah. It's just going to be, um, it's unprecedented. It's the packaging, it's the interior space, the utility and the drivability. And then we've got the new UX with the, the panoramic clear view cockpits. Uh, 34-inch curved OLED single piece, and that just gives opens up a whole world of opportunities uh, for, for 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 just for the user interface and driver driver engagement. And uh, this is next level. And then and then just just like you know the the the, the, the just using the the, the front innovative leaf just to give it an extra level of fun and usability. It's just every part of the car, and and I think particularly. I'm really pleased the way the seating has, because the seating has defined the car. What you may not be aware of is that this green car has got full three-row seating. Mm-hmm. People think, oh, well, that's just the two-row and it's folded flat. We want to put one side up, as you were thinking, Eric, to show. The full three-row seating car folds flat like that, and it's got about seven-foot-six bed. It's unprecedented in terms of usability and practicality. So you've got these disparate attributes, practicality, usability, utility, and then you've got luxury, then you've got range, performance, driving pleasure, speed of charging, technology. I mean, it's trying to get, it's, it's, it's just like the impossible all fused together. Well, thank you so much, Peter. Thanks, man. Congratulations. The one last thing I want to touch on um, before I let you go uh, is driver assist. Um, you know, you've got a very robust suite of sensors on the car. Uh, it's one of the first vehicles on the Lear was one of the first vehicles to come to market with LiDAR, the standard equipment. Um, is that is is the the driver assist the Dream Drive package something that's being developed entirely in house at it Lucid? Is. And, it is. And how's that progressing? And you know, kind of what's what's your roadmap for that over the next couple of years? Yeah, you're you're going to see uh, more and more Dream Drive features get added to both Air and, of course gravity when it ships. Um, you know, I, I will say our philosophy is we don't believe in our customers being beta testers for something like this. You know, we, we take safety very seriously. Um, we're rolling out features as we have a chance to really perfect them and get them to the point where we, we think that uh, uh, they're, they're worthy of, you know, of, of us shipping this part of the car and, and we, don't put the, we don't put the user in any sort of danger. Um, Gravity uh, now has even more advanced hardware than Air had in the theme of you know, updating everything, much more uh, extensive compute hardware, the same kind of sensor suite in many of the trims. And uh, Gravity will, you know, we continue, you'll see over the course of the next year, new features come out for Air, and then Gravity will take that to the next level again. Well, well some of those, some of the things that you've talked about around the compute and the, the EE architecture uh, be rolled into Air as a running change at some point? 
or maybe with the next generation? So we haven't, we haven't defined that yet. Obviously, we now have a portfolio that we have on air and we have the gravity uh, versions and we can decide at any given point when you have the resource and when there may be the market demand to switch over. But right now, the product stand as they are, we think they're awesome. We're just setting the next milestone with gravity. Well, I really appreciate your time. Any final thoughts, anything we haven't talked about that uh, should be considering about uh, gravity, what you've done here? I think it's really important to see that we are achieving over 440 miles of range with a fairly moderate battery pack size. And that's really, really important to understand. Uh, Peter tried to bring the point across in the presentation. I hope it resonated. But just to make that point really clear, we have around 120 kilowatt hours of battery uh, energy capacity. And then others are above 200 kilowatt hours to get in even close to the same range. And that means if they have almost twice the size of a battery pack in the car, it's almost twice as heavy. The car gets heavier, less fun to drive, more expensive, more raw materials, more mining of whatever goes into the battery, less, uh, um, less energy consumption in our car. So you need almost twice the amount of energy to recharge the car when both cars arrive at the same destination, which means if you can afford the electricity, great, but the total cost of ownership for some will mean something. But on top of that, the power plants need to now produce almost twice as much energy, twice as much CO2 footprint, which is the opposite of what we're trying to do in the switch over to EVs. And that's why it's so fundamentally important to understand that battery pack size matters, the smaller it is with a longer range. And I think that is one of the key takeaways I, I think we need to uh, get people to resonate with. And it takes longer to charge the bigger battery pack. So it's, 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 it's like a bad non-virtuous circle, right? I mean, the only thing, the only thing I would add is, you know, we, I want, I hope people understand we are a technology company and it, it's all, it's, you know, the, the motors, and the battery pack and the aerodynamics and the design and the software and the hardware. You can't do something like this if you're just a system integrator that a lot of other companies are. And we've kind of flown below the radar, but I mean, this is fundamental to us getting the range and having the, the room and the space. It really is, we think about it holistically. How do we provide that experience? And it's a lot of work, but that's what you have to do to get something like this. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, gentlemen. Thank Bell, you. Great meeting you. Eric Bach. Thank you.